Welcome back. You're listening to another episode of The Todd Donald Show, a weekly podcast where artists and performers go to chat about nothing. Hosted by Canadian singer-songwriter Todd Donald. Hey everyone, thank you for patiently awaiting a new episode. Todd here. Before I get started, I want to thank Kelly and Maddie. They host a podcast called Creative Confessionals over in Toronto and are the first podcast since I went on my friend Rob's a couple years ago to have me on as a guest. Like I've had hundreds of podcasters on mine over the years. Maybe that's a little, I'm exaggerating, but at least 30 to 35. This is the second podcast I want to have me on. That's got to say something about me. Either way, Kelly and Maddie were a pleasure to chat with. I talked a lot about Channel 101 and they were wonderful about it. And yeah, I'm quite far ahead in recordings. I'll be chatting with two more guests between now and a week from now, and I still have four more to edit at the moment. Emails, full-time job, life, right? You'll hear my guest or I making reference to when we chatted last, uh, being a brief convo on this podcast back in November, talking about a short film, Into Light. And we sort of pick up there at the beginning of this conversation. Amy Walker is a, a great and wonderful person, Clearly a wonderful dialectologist, it's a word, actor, writer, director, producer, humanitarian, singer-songwriter, pet owner. This conversation is not for the linear-minded. I, uh, I was having a weird day. Amy was great, of course, despite my weird day, and it was a, a nice deep dive into the mind of an artist. Without any further ado, and I don't know what ado means, I hope... I, I hope I used that right. Put your hands together for Amy Walker. Last time you were on, I just want to let whoever's listening to this know that you were on in November, I believe, and you were chatting with me about the film Into Light. I'm kind of curious, how long from the beginning of pre-production until like it's it's got to be a longer journey than most people know about putting out a film could, could you quantify that for me like how long of a journey is that yeah and it depends on what your role is in it so if you're just acting in it you might be cast a few weeks before and uh you know or a couple months before and you come in and do your piece and then peace out right. and then are part of the promo but for me with this project this had been gestating for a couple of years before I put it down on paper in, in terms of writing it or final draft <laughs> in terms right. of writing it. And then the writing process, because it's a period piece, obviously set in 1916, also involves a lot of research. And I wanted to do that in a really good way. So I enlisted the support of the top four historians of Inez Milholland, who's the suffragist that I was depicting in the film. And so that whole process took a few months, maybe four months, something like that. So I started that process probably about two years ago. Wow. And then finished, finished, <laughs> a draft of the script that, I don't know, like the sixth or something draft of the script that I was ready to start building the team with. And then reached out to Jessica Graham, who's our wonderful director, whom I'd worked with before. And I, I knew that she would really resonate with Inez's story. And so um, before Jessica, even um, my now husband, then boyfriend, Nipun Nair, who did almost all the post-production uh, apart from color, he was a part of that from the beginning because he was really fueling it. So at him, then Jessica comes on and then start building the producer's team. And that was in the summer. So about a year and a half ago now, starting in June, July. But for a short film, you know, this was eight pages. So that's ostensibly about eight minutes. Right. And but you still have to do all of the pieces, <laughs> you know, you still have to put a whole team together and raise some money so that you can pay them. And so that whole process of, you know, partnering with a nonprofit organization and finding a way to gather those donations and build that team took then another eight months, nine months. And we filmed a little over a year ago, I guess a year and a month ago, February 10th and 11th of 2020, which was like. Epic timing, yep. <laughs> because a couple weeks later, yep. <laughs> and we just started post-production when lockdown happened. Right. So, Jeez, I mean, so then post-production, because 
I, I literally just had this dumbest lame joke about how like, oh, COVID, that's been what, like a month? <laughs> yeah, sometimes it feels like a month and it's been a year. Seems like only uh, yesterday things were normal, you were saying. Right. So we wrapped filming, we started in with post and Nipun was, Nipunair was editing and we, we were doing all that remotely and we're like, ah, ha, ha, isn't it funny to do this remotely? Yep. with our director and the whole setup of, you know, Zoom on this device that we can see and this device so she can see the cut. And then that took about five months or something. And then wow. we've been in the festival circuit and we're still doing that. I don't have a lot of reference of my own. Like I've I've recorded albums and, and I only recently started doing a fun little project. I mean, that's not just time because you're chipping at it like an hour a day. Like that's that's a lot of care. Like there's a reason that things take as long as they do. In your particular case, or anyone's, like I'm sure people are keeping busy with a number of things as well as their home life and stuff. In any of those early phases with Into Light, like how hard was it to um, have like that little excited, anxiety-ridden, like I wish I could just see this finish now. Oh, I just want to, I just want to film it now. I can't wait. What's it like to contain that? Yeah, interesting word choice with contain because I think there is something to letting that vision stay really pure. Mm. and really clear so that it can keep fueling you and the team with the next steps. And with something like this, we paid stipends where we could, but it was definitely a project where people were, were doing it for the love. And we, regardless of what we can pay, always in the next project, we want to pay tons of money to everybody. But still, yeah. we want the people who are there because they believe in the project. Yeah. And that is a kind of currency that I believe is more potent and more nourishing than even money. And money's great. But when you've got people who understand the purpose and who are aligned with the purpose, that carries with it an energy uh, that's so unifying because it has its own gravity to it. And it draws in your collaborators and it ejects, you know, the people who um, aren't aligned with that. Like they'll talk themselves out of that if it's not the right space for them you know or you'll have to cut ties and that's okay because it's like a pruning where you end up keeping clear with your intention i really like that like and what's the best word you could put on that like community that might be over or under diamonding uh i I like that diamonding is one of my new favorites (laughs) i think that's great because it's very clear you know, and you go through a process and, and you, when you're in a creative project, when you're in any endeavor together, there will be a crucible moment. You know, there will be a, a fire that will mm-hmm. happen in that process and things will be purified out of it and you'll let go of some stuff that yeah. you don't need and everything's going to get real clear. And so when you're working on a, a film, for example, you want to be working with the people that you can work with 16 hours a day and they've got you, you know, they've yeah. got your back and they believe in it. And they're, they're there because it's fueling their heart. Mm-hmm. I don't know if this is adding to that, but feeling your presence in a community of that kind of mind and feeling others' presence, it doesn't become easier per se. Like the workload is whatever mm-hmm. size it is, but the feeling that you have while you're doing things feels like you have trying to find more flowery words to enhance this, but you know what I mean, right? Absolutely. Fuel. I could, yeah. I would just say fuel as, to keep it really simple. Nailed but I it. love that. Another way I was thinking about it a, a moment ago um, in a team building clubhouse talk we were having, it's like paying attention to what is the gravity that is keeping you, it, you in orbit? You know, that what is that nucleus, that center that's drawing you in? Because there's that process of when you come around in that cycle and then whoosh, you know, it gives you a lift into the next yeah. wave and then whoosh, a lift into the next wave. And it's keeping you all still in your separate orbit. You know, everybody's got their piece that they're contributing to it. And you have to let them fly. You know, you have to trust them and let them take it where they're going to take it. But then what they come back around with will feed the whole project, you know, yeah. the whole whatever it is you're creating in your team. I like that. I wish that those of you listening could have seen Amy's hands because it was a really cool <laughs> visual aid to what she's saying. I, I think the words speak for themselves, of course. Here's a song clip or segment, normally a song. This one being a song by a longtime friend by the name of Stephen Trothen, 
whom I'll be chatting with soon about the music he's been releasing as Treephones. When we met, though, and I first fell in love with his music, it was under the name Stephen Trothen. It was on his 2008 album, Stephen Trothen Learns to Knit. And this is one of the songs on it. It's called Last at Sea. Dusty book dropped me a line I've been lost at sea for quite some time Nothing new Just simple and true I could use the help to get me by Get me by Oh flower garden grow up strong let the rain be your guide as you move along Hop on your bike with a blue flashlight And pedal from the ground onto the sky Singing, oh, the winter is past and the rain Is over and gone, but the memory remains the albatross and the sound of the cross Circle around your neck like a chain Oh, summer heat, I'll swim in your waves Slash into some concrete just recently paved Ride in the cement, the sailors and men Mark with my finger like a grave, like a grave Out on the lake, skipping stones Always moving along, we don't know how to float A suitcase full of clothes, and a Bible marked with a rose So you can skip right to your favorite quote Singing, oh, the winter is past and the rain is over and gone, but the memory remains. The albatross and the sound of the cross slip around your neck like a chain. Birds are flying clusters, and I'm reading their stone. The auger and the Profit and salvation on me I don't know if there's a an amazing segue into this, but well, I'd, lo- I'd love to know when you and Nippon started Soul Fire Creations, and I'd love to know why why do that, and um, what is it? Soul yeah. Fire Creations. Soul Fire Creations uh-huh, is a production company here in Los Angeles that I started with my husband Nippon and Iron. The reason why we went with Creations is because both of us are quite diverse in our hyphens, I guess I could say. <laughs> Uh, we're both performance artists. We're both musicians. We we're both producers. We love producing together, sometimes direct together. Through this project, Into Light, we got to do really a project that, from 
seed to completion was carried out in the way that we love, which was keeping that intention really clear as I spoke to and, and having a purpose behind it and having a, uh, a message that we wanted to bring people's awareness to, you know, partnering with nonprofit organizations to make it something that the film could bring awareness to what they're doing and their communities could then be excited to see history come to life mm -hmm. in this way. Uh, so finding that, I, I call it a holistic, we call it a holistic production company because we love to be closing those loops you know, filmmaking has been in the past, I don't like to say traditionally, but it has been in the past a very linear process where you kind of put everything together and spend a bunch of money and build it and then tear it all down and throw it away. And then you make something and you sell it, then you build something else. Yeah. I like to, you know, we love to, in everything that we were saying about building community and having this be something that is fueling everybody on multiple levels, to also be partnering with uh, nonprofit organizations uh, whose message is in alignment with the production's purpose as well, just like we did with Wild West Women, and then uniting also with the National Women's History Museum and the National Women's History Alliance through Into Light, we got to tap into those communities. So on the projects that we get to create from the ground up or that we can bring in where we also get to produce on it, you know, we love to bring that level of, of awareness to the whole process mm -hmm. and to the purpose behind it. And then, all, you know, sometimes we just, he'll just do post-production on something or editing or, or he's also a colorist. So, you know, that's a smaller piece. And if it's a project that we love, you know, we'll just do a piece on it. But the goal is that we're building a team and to continue producing the content that means the most to us and to also partner with others and be able to grow that content in the community around it. And I, I noticed, I mean, something that I love, it's hard not to love. Who, who wouldn't love this about your work and with Soulfire? But like, and I'm quoting your website directly, but creating positive social change is in the mythos, ethos. Not mythos, ethos is the word I was looking for. Yeah. Uh, Intellect so being a prime example. There, there wasn't a question. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it is important to us. Uh, and to be an active part of anti-racism is really important to us. To be walking our talk and to do that in an integrated way with our art and with how we staff and with who we bring on to keep us honest and to keep us growing and learning is really important to us. I, I love how thoughtful you are. There's nothing that sounds to me like, uh, you know, if it ain't making that bling beep beep with the money, then... then you did improv. I can't do this. Um, <laughs> I, I'm going to move completely laterally, just for fun. Do you stay brushed up on your, your ability to speak a vast array of different accents? I do. I mean, you know what changes, like, day to day. <laughs> so, yeah, I do. It's part of me, really. It's like I, today I'm wearing green, you know. I've got slippers on. <laughs> um, part of how I express myself authentically is I like to play. And oh. accents are part of that. But also I have to keep sharp as an actor mm -hmm. that I'm keeping keeping all my tools sharp. So I, I love to do that. It looks different day to day. But yeah. You have a very, very... I mean, not that I've been around the world, but you have a very great grasp of these. And hearing you on the uh, I'll Link People, the Jack White record... You're so amazing at it. I'm curious to know, what does a Canadian sound like? Oh, gosh. Well, every single Canadian is going to sound different from the next, just like Americans. There are several ranging accents. Um, a lot sound very, very much like a kind of a standard American until you hit sorry or washroom. And then you can go up to Saskatoon and it's quite different. So <laughs> it just depends. I think I might have been. Would, would you? Would you like somewhere along the line to do something uh, silly? Because I, I know you do comedy as well. You recently posted your comedy reel on in, on social media. Would you? Would you like to do something that would be like the perfect vehicle for you to do multiple accents as a character who needs to use them for? I don't know. Sorry, that's a question. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I've got a project, a, a series in development to do that. I always feel into the timing of things and this particular project, I know it's time hasn't come yet. 
but I know that it will. But what's important to me about accents and dialect work and acting in general, I'll just speak to my personal journey. My, my awareness, I'm white. This is a, it's a tricky subject to be doing accents. And it's always been, right. you know, people have, have said to me ever since I started on YouTube, they're like, well, how come you don't do Asian accents? How come you don't do African accents? I'm like, I'm white. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, there are things that if I do them, they are racist. Right. So, and even, you know, and my awareness of that is always increasing. So I, if I, especially if I'm going to make something comedy, I need to be really, really careful of that. Yeah. And I think there is beauty in compassion and empathy. And there is something I think deeply illuminating and, and valuable and heartfelt about feeling into another's shoes or another's perspective as much as possible. And so we're in an important time of reckoning and of, of increasing our awareness of, of our impact, intentional or unintentional, still our impact on each other in our global community. So it's just, it's important to me to, to do that in a really mindful way. I don't, it, never when I'm doing accents am I making fun of somebody. You know, I, I do it with, with, a, with my heart and I do it to the point where it's, you know, it's me right. there. To kind of answer your question in, in a circuitous way, yes, there is. Yes, I'm working on it, and it's delicate. E- even on the uh, the green room session, I think you were. Every time I listen to or watch something that was made pre 2016, I grade it. I'm like, ooh, that I'm watching the movie Old School. I thought it was just a fun party college movie, and I I cringe at most of it now, and I don't like to, but I like that I'm having that reaction to it. And I just, I like what you said about being mindful that way. And I definitely would love to see, you're very good at, at dialects. I particularly like your Australian one. Is that still, um, oh, not a lot of people can do oh, it. Oh yeah. I mean, no, <laughs> no, it's one of the most painful, uh, accents to hear horribly wrong. I mean, it's, it's painful. Um, that and probably Kiwi. Um, like a New Zealand accent, I don't, I don't know any, um, I don't know. It's, it's quite a hard one to get, um, on, you know? Yeah, I love it. And, and for me, I mean, I live there. I lived in both places. So when I'm speaking with my friends who are Aussie, who I met in Australia, uh, it would be super weird for me to be like, hi, Shelly, it's Amy. I don't know. That would just feel so weird to me. It, it's And it'd be weird for her, you know, like this is me and this is me when I'm there because this is the language that we understand each other in. So, yeah, that was that was the normal. So it's very much alive. You have to put like every vowel sound I mean, into every so vowel fun. sound. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. We just use them all, all the time. It's cool. <laughs> Normally a song and sometimes a clip. In this segment, I'd like to play for you the A-side of Amy Walker's Green Room session at Third Man Records, being a huge uh, TMR and vinyl nerd. I highly recommend you go and buy yourself a vinyl copy of this. Otherwise, it is available digitally. Digitally. Thank you. I got it on the iTunes store. So sadly, someone at Apple will be taking 90% of that. Anyway, the B-side is an interview conducted by Jack White on this side. It's a wonderful improv called Hello, Children's Book Intro, and Live Reading of a Newspaper. From Discourse on Accents, this is the Spoken Word 45, Side A, by Amy Walker. Say hello, Amy. Hello. 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 This is the story of Amy Walker. You can read along with me in your book. You will know it is time to turn the page when you hear the chimes ring like this. Let's begin now. Here, have a newspaper. Cool. Okay, whenever you're ready. An article from the Tennessean from Monday, September 6th, 2010. Losing Love for Outdoors Costs America by Mike Butler. Americans think of ourselves as rugged individualists. It's almost a genetic trait. We exhibit this trait throughout our society with our passion for independence, 
mirrored in the things we like, like the cars we drive, the taxes we hate, or the dreams we dream. But somewhere along the way, the relationship with America's great outdoors, which has helped shape us as a nation, has been replaced with things that have misshaped us. Summer vacations with family to parks have been replaced by a summer without families, or summer without vacations, or a trip to an amusement park. We've effectively stopped experiencing the great outdoors for ourselves. Relying more on the filtered, staged, and refined version of nature we can comfortably access from our couch. The results are catastrophic. So what is an accent, Amy? What is it really? I mean, is it like a different voice? Are you a different person when you do it? No. Like, I'm not a different person. I mean, it's not me being someone else. I'm just being me. But, I don't know, it's like, it's the vibe. It's a different vibe, you know? I know. You know, when I feel a different way, I might wake up in the morning... Right, and I'm like, I'm like, it's different. Or if I doubt myself, you know, maybe it can help me to talk, to talk to myself and say, like, what's the problem? You know, just get it together and just do it. Because, uh, you know, you can do it. You know, you're an artist. You know, this is what you're meant to do. And sometimes it just makes more sense. I don't know. I suppose the only difficulty is when someone else... The phone rings or something, and I have to pick it up and say, Hello, this is Amy. I'm Amy. And this is my real voice. But what's real, really? I don't know. Everyone wants to know what you really like. Is that the real you? No. Jace, of course, this is the real me. And who is this? <laughs> I don't know. I suppose it's all the real me. You know, we're all these different people, like. And uh, it's just we sound different. And maybe even look different. But uh, if I wear uh, French perfume, for example, I'm not trying to be French, a different person. I just want to smell nice. <laughs> or if I wear Italian shoes. I'm not trying to be someone else. So, what is this thing we call accent? And what's the difference between the accent and the voice? Or character? Am I being a different person if I sound like, well, is this ever me? Would I ever do this? But that's something that even actors, you know, they're always saying, oh no, the character wouldn't do this. Or, oh no, she'd never say that, or she'd never wear that, or something. So are they different worlds, then? Or is it all one together, but with different facets, or different faces, or different voices of the same cloth, the same, the same fuss, metal? If we're all made of the same thing, we're all energy, like Einstein says, then is there any difference at all? Maybe it's all just wanting to communicate. I just, I feel, I, I, when I feel something in, inside me, and I feel it, and it's strong, and I won't share that with the world. So if I'm going to share it with you, and I know that you, if I say, damn, that's nice, y'all know what I feel. But if I say that to my grandma, <laughs> that's, that's a four-letter word. So I better be careful. So if I want to communicate what's inside me in a way that you will feel it, will really feel it, you know, really get into the guts of it, because that's what it's all about for me, is that we all have guts. We're all made of the same stuff. And it's, well, it's life, you know. It's what it's all about. So, to say yes, to say yes, this is me. I am uh, Amy Walker. I'm Amy Walker. I'm Amy, Amy Walker. <laughs> I'm all of it. We're all, all of it. Yeah. Saying yes, I suppose.
I am like you. We're different. But I am like you. I have compassion. I can understand you. Part of me can even be you, I suppose. When was the first... Um, this is for the high school newspaper. When did you first feel like that being creative and performing was hell or high water going to be what you did with your life instead of uh, mm. just for fun? Mm. Yeah. I was eight. I was very shy kid. I say kid, but I didn't think of myself as a kid. I was a very shy, small person. Right. <laughs> and one of my, like my best friend at the time, who was my parents' age, was in, and, and my dad was a minister at the time. Oh, an Australian, a woman came from Australia actually to do, to direct a passion mime. So this was a mime of the story of Jesus from the Last Supper to the Crucifixion. And whatever you believe, I, I don't identify as a Christian, but that's a powerful story to me that I have a personal connection to through, through this work, through this mime. Uh, and it was so beautifully constructed. It was so simple. My dad was involved in it and my mom wrote the music. You know, the whole thing was set to music and it was just extraordinary piece of art. And it was only for adults to be in. And I don't say that like it was an adult show. I just mean <laughs> the director wanted to work with people who could do the work. And, you know, so was casting adults. And I was eight. And so I, I said to my friend in like a whisper, I was like, could you just ask her if I can be in this show? And she said, sure. And she asked. And uh, the director, Carol, very kindly said, no, it's only for adults. <laughs> and I was like, okay, darn. And then I, I just like something was bursting inside me. And I said, I said to her, is it okay if you just try me in one scene? And if I'm not good, you can just kick me out. It's fine. But can you just try me in one scene? And I don't know where I got that courage, but I did. And she said, okay. And I tried the one scene. And something worked because she ended up making me a disciple and putting me in, in like all of the scenes. That experience for me of having no words but using my body and the power of these simple movements to let this story live in my body and be carried by that music and by that story, uh, it was totally transformational experience for me. And I knew that this, this way of using everything that I am and everything that I have as my instrument is deeply fulfilling and, and a calling for me. Mm -hmm. So if I had to pick one, <laughs> it would be the one that uses everything. Right. You can see anyone who goes to amywalkeronline.com. You have this um, multi-hyphen uh, life, creative life, where you've explored. Like you didn't just entertain the notion of different things. You, God, you you did a one-person show. You've done stage plays. You've you've done a TEDx talk. Well, I don't, I don't know. Did you go after YouTube fame, or did you just put something on YouTube? I don't that, know. It wasn't point. a thing when I first started. <laughs> When I first started in YouTube, it wasn't Google. There were no channels. There were no ads. It was just this odd little platform on the internet, right. which was fairly new. I mean, like, you know, that was OG days. And I just put it up there because I had done my first one woman show and somebody had filmed it and it was, it had sold out. So I wasn't, so I had friends and family who weren't able to come. And so I just put up pieces of it. And people who I never met from the other side of the planet started to watch it. And that was a brand new thing. I get that it's like how we all live now, but not that right. long ago. That was totally <laughs> new. And, uh, and the concept of putting a video, you know, I was like, how, how can I let an agent or an agent or a casting director know that wherever the character's from, I can sound like that place or that person in a way that won't hit their spam filter? Well, video links don't hit their spam filter. So if I make a video uh, where in two and a half minutes I can show them, uh, you know, let's see, what's a good number? 21 accents in two and a half minutes. It has kind of a ring to it. So I put together that video. Um, I'm making that sound short. It took a couple days because it's a lot harder than it looks to just switch. And so I did that. That was one of the first viral videos 
So they were still figuring out what to call it when they're like, let's call it viral. And we're all went, ew. (laughs) And now here we are in a pandemic where viral means something completely different. But at the time, that was a new concept. So I went with it. I am a be in person person. I am Mm -hmm. not a yay technology for technology's sake person. So I never thought that could be a a way in for me, but it provided a space for me to be totally avant-garde, totally going out to people who I didn't even know it would reach like Jack White, for instance, but stay very aligned with my creative thread and whatever insane adventures that. that wanted to take me on. Mm-hmm. I tend to gravitate as a fan of things and as a maker to when people are like you just said it very well the way I've put it before on the show is like when they're making what they want to make but they're when someone's making what like their heart's making it it's what they're into mm-hmm. in a very non-linear fashion I'm recalling seeing uh, again this is our this is only our second time chatting but I was like thrilled to see that you and your now husband were celebrating a very special day how did it feel Obviously, you've had this conversation a million times. Just regurgitate it for me right now. What was it like getting to, but also having to celebrate this amazing thing in a time where it couldn't have been like pre one year ago today? Mm. Well, on 12-12-2020, we got married in the most precious diamond, to use your word, (laughs) way. It was so beautiful. And yes, we'll have parties with the people when we can do the parties with the people. Yeah. But there was it was really a gift that we chose and we could have waited and we considered waiting. Initially we were gonna wait, but we wanted to have something that was just us. And we got to. We got this great excuse to say, okay, what if we just made this only what we wanted it to be and kept it in its simplest, purest form? And we meditated together on what we wanted that to be and and what we wanted our vows to be for each other. You know, we had precious music and one friend each, you know, and it wasn't like the most. I mean, they were friends who were here in L.A. who we could, you know, um, who we could have be there. So we had to just let go of all the people we wanted to have there and all the people who we think, oh, no, what they are going to be so sad to miss and just say, keep it in its purest form. This is one piece, this is the inner layer, and we'll add to it all the other layers as we're able. But it was incredibly beautiful. The elements were there. It was sunset. We had leaves falling from these trees around us and the sun shining through and the wind coming up and the earth there. And it was so beautiful. <laughs> this is what they call the perfect And I got to marry my day. beloved. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> We're in we're in email talks right now. I, I can't wait to have him on the show. It's Nippon. Did I say that right? Yeah, Nippon. Yeah. Nippon intended. Yeah. <laughs> He's heard it a thousand times. No. Oh, um, he loves puns. He won't mind. <laughs> what was the TEDx talk about? TEDx Phoenixville. I'd never been to Phoenixville, but I love Phoenixes. Invited me, I don't know, 10 years ago or something to be a co-facilitator or what, 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 whatever they would call it, co-MC, I guess, of, of this beautiful TED Talk that they curated. That was cool. I'd never really hosted before. But then I also got to do a TEDx talk. And what I, I broke it into pieces because I was also a, a host that I just, I would do these little interstitial pieces and racking my brains a little bit. But mostly it was about the concept of identity uh, ever since the, the 21 Accents video that I mentioned before. People get a lot of questions of like, who are you really? And what's your real accent? And all of these things that, that just crack me up as if we're a fixed thing. Right. <laughs> we're not. We're a fluid. You know, we're a fluid. Right. We're an open system. Maybe I am more of an open system than most because I'm aware that I'm an open system and, and have been aware of that since I was tiny. And so I'm more willing to let myself be weird. I'm more willing to let myself be misunderstood or to give myself permission to be an Australian and sound Australian. But it was really exploring that concept of identity and what we allow ourselves to identify as and what we allow ourselves to be and do and what we don't and why. And I I find that endlessly fascinating. That was an exploration in that. The next song is by a past guest on this podcast, Dana DeBolt. 
wonderful. And it's a fantastic song from the Weird EP. And this one is called Shapeshifter. construct this in front of you i'm i'm imagining you someone i i don't i don't know how you regulate your schedule of productivity in terms of should should i add a third project onto the one or two i'm already working on i guess if it's a third project it would be two and how busy is even if you're taking the weekends off busy enough for you are you, are you doing it for you when when you when you're hitting the mark of i'm as busy as i feel like i need to be i i is there are you finding the question i think so are, are you asking about me I, i'm asking about you i i'm because i had this thought when i was thinking for some reason that like what was on your website was all stuff that you did in the last year i don't know why i had that thought and then i thought like you know some people are just workhorses and i gotta ask amy like we, we talk about burnout a lot in everyday conversations mm. and in a lot of my interviews and how busy do you feel is you are doing good. <laughs> like, mm. Mm. Uh, yeah, 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 I feel you. 
it ebbs and flows for me. So Mm -hmm. I trust that deeply. If I have some external measuring stick of like, I must always be in summer production, then yeah, I'll totally burn out. Mm -hmm. But I always have a lot of projects going at once because they won't all be their time. You know, I'm, I'm collaborating on pretty much everything. So the time will arise for something suddenly. And then that you have to, you just have to go. And then that will go. And because you had this other one kind of spinning in the background, Oh, the door is open. And now this one's ready to go into there. And then this one might actually, you know, project B might take precedence and project A that you thought was the project for the year might just sit there for a while and never happen or not happen for a year or two. And so, so it's like always, Feeling, feeling in, letting go, feeling in, letting go. And that's where, to me, it's about uh, being committed to my purpose rather than attached to the forms. Because when I'm committed to my purpose, if every day I am growing, if every day I am, I am learning and I am being, a, I'm contributing to my community's mindfulness, you know, whether that's an internal day for me or it's an external productive day, I feel fulfilled. And whoever's project that is, it might be, you know, quote unquote mine, of course, I don't own these things, but it might be something that has come through from the beginning to me, or it might be something I'm hired on. I won't do it unless it has that essence of like, oh, I, I see how this is fueling me or I'm learning skills through this project that I totally need for this other thing. Plus it's paying me in a way that then I can do this other thing for that free period before it, you know, catches. Yeah. Um, So it, it, it ebbs and flows. And on, on those times when you are in production, when I am in production, then you might work a string of 12, 13, 16 hour days, but I can't do that. Not that I can't, I don't want to do that every day for the year because it's important to me to be fueling myself and to have that, you know, mm-hmm. mindful time with my husband and my cat, <laughs> the earth. But I see, you know, all of it is of equal value to me. The personal exploration. This has been a very, very inward year for me. I haven't put out, I put out like two YouTube videos maybe in the last year because I don't feel that's not where my creativity is flowing right now. And I used to have a lot of pressure on myself about like, oh, I, I should do this. And it's like, it's not there. It's here in writing these scripts or it's here in doing this deep exploration of my own racism and changing huge patterns in myself. Or it's here learning, reconnecting to my ancestral roots. Those are just as, as valuable to me in my work as quote unquote productivity. Right. I, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to the whole thing, but I want to react right now to that that pressure. It comes from all sorts of places mm. too, doesn't it? Like wh- whether it's just toxic positive brand uh, quotes like hustle every day to what end, right? You strike me as someone who at this moment, I don't I don't know how long it took for you to get here or it it sounds like you have a very beautifully nuanced discipline within yourself. You're not you're not juggling. Mm. What were the words you used? You're, you're re-entering. Flowing. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I, I, I often feel like it's a flow. I could learn so much from you. <laughs> I, I feel like anyone who creates something projects to, I don't want to use the term the end because it's just a transition. When we look back at our body of work, can you say that you're, mo- you're currently... <laughs> You're in the future, right? You're going back in time, and you're and you're talking to yourself now about what you're working on. When, when you when you look, I back, do that. I do frequently, actually. There's a couple directions I can go with that. There's a there's a powerful practice powerful practice uh, that I learned from Kyle Cease, and where you actually do that. You are you a year down the road, or a week, or a month, and you talk about that year from it having happened. And it's a really powerful practice because to have that memory living in you of like, not only is this possible and something, it's not something out there that's possible. I've already done it. So I'm good. You know, when you start normalizing being in that, that vibration and that frequency of what you're calling in. So I, I, uh, that's a fun practice, but in terms of like, I see resonance 
in what I've been weaving and creating and sifting through my whole life. And I feel like more and more I'm, I'm diamonding to come back to your word. I'm getting more and more <laughs> you yourself clear are diamond. in that purpose. <laughs> uh, you know, for me, my number one job has always been self-exploration or realization or empowerment. Uh, is sifting through and how I do that most frequently is through art. But the, the real, my real job is that getting to know myself and where I'm limiting, um, and what, how I am called to, to be in this world. And then I express that in all the different ways that I express that, which grow and change and flow. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I've been living in that harmonic, but it's just getting clearer and clearer and juicier and because of that, the people and the projects that are coming in are more and more on purpose for me, which is so juicy and fulfilling. I'm not somebody who necessarily vision boards or sets forms into place for what I need to be and achieve or timelines or that kind of thing. But I do check in with the essence of that, the quintessence of that and the mm -hmm. efflorescence of that. And then I allow that to come into the forms that it will. So I, I definitely feel like that's on track. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's feeling yummy and fulfilling to me. So, yeah. It's not my takeaway, but like when you use the words, it's a juicy or it's a yummy, that speaks to me because I always deflect to words that have to do with eating or drinking. Not to suggest I've done a lot of that. I just... It's, oh, it's I a, have. <laughs> <laughs> not tonight for me. <laughs> this, is, this is water. Um, mm, yeah, I got my water too. Last song on the episode. Allow me to publicly apologize for being under the weather the last few weeks and getting behind on emails. Amy's husband, Nippon Nair, has been kind enough to express interest in, or at least willingness to be a guest on my humble podcast. I will follow up on that post-haste. I don't think I used post-haste right, did I? It's not, it's not something I say. Why do I do that? Point here being that before we conclude with the fourth quarter of a wonderful chat with Amy Walker, I have a tune here to play a beautiful and well-crafted song with harmony and beauty for days. This is a duet by Amy Walker and Nipun Nair. By the way, they, they don't know me personally, but congratulations to you both from the bottom of my heart. And thank you for this song. I got you. Well, it's a big old your back and I never lose track because wherever you go always know I'm there with you and all you do I got you You're feeling alone, I still got your back, and I never lose track. And I know you will be there for me in all I do. You got me too, I got you.
don't know if I even warned you. I kept a very tight interview when I when I was delighted to chat with you just about Into Light on that day in November. And when I, when I asked you if you'd like to come and do a long form one, I didn't say that it would be more of me being a good host or what I think a good host of a podcast is for an hour. I just said it would be an hour. You, I seem to be the only person who thinks I did a terrible job. But here's the thing. You're a wonderful guest. That's a correct assessment. <laughs> I really appreciate that. I I really enjoyed chatting with you. I really enjoy your work. I admire okay. the shit out of oh, this isn't too concrete of a word, but versatility. Given that it's not mm. a fix it's not a fixed mm. it is anything but a fixed property. I don't know whether I'm I'm not just a fan of your, your music or your funny or your not funny stuff, but like you're terribly good. At all of it. And I really appreciate your time tonight. <laughs> Thank um, you. <laughs> um, oh, what what more can I say? Um, I'll just ask the two questions and then you could you could tell me if you want to answer them. Something that I used to do as a gimmick. Sure. What's the worst thing someone could say to you that could hurt you? And what's the best thing someone could say to you to opposite of hurt you? Mm. Okay, well, I'll start with the first one. Um, I take responsibility for my feelings so I'm not going to give anybody the power to make me feel a certain way. Owning your experience. So, I love that. Yeah. I guess that's all I can say to that one. <laughs> um, that whatever feelings I'm going to have are, are mine. And I can take what people are going to say. And if there's something that I need to feel and understand about that for myself, then that's that's just a, hey, Amy, guess what? There's work to do. And I know there's more work to do on myself. So that's what I'll say to that one. And then something that feels good. What was it? Something that it's, it was basically just makes a me reversal. Happy? I love it when people, when something that they saw that, uh, you know, or that they experienced of either my art or something opened a door in them that was more, that were more of their authenticity was able to mm. come out. I love that. That just makes me so, so happy to know that it, we had that connection of authenticity in a way that I didn't know about because a lot of these things you put it out and then who knows how people will interact with it. But when there's something that I put out there that opened a door or fanned a, a pilot light within somebody else, that's always really fulfilling to hear. There's there's no wrong answer to that. It it's part of how I get to know people. That uh, that was wonderful. Certainly, I can't speak for others. It definitely brings me joy. If I do this podcast for any reason, it's that I get a chance to hang out with you, and to tell you that. And I can't wait to tell your husband when oh. he comes on. You both uh, individually and together create work that that's wonderful, and it brings me joy, which is most important. Mm-hmm. Uh, and everyone thanks. <laughs> needs to think about is this bringing Todd Donald joy mm, number uh, one question <laughs> there's something so beautiful and fulfilling about working with my husband Nick one he's a phenomenal and then when we come together and carry that purpose and unify it and clarify it and amplify it together it's exponentially yummy <laughs> And juicy to use all those words. So deeply grateful that he's the incredible powerhouse that he is in his own right and that we get to work together. It's so fun. So I'm excited to see and hear about your time together too. <laughs> that sounds like a savory situation. <laughs> for sure. Uh, thanks again for your time. I hope you have a great uh, evening or night. Thank you, Todd. You too. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Todd Donald Show, starring, produced, and edited by Todd Donald. The piano music in the rap is by J.P. Sunga, who you can find at jpsunga.com. The theme music is Mackie Alkino by William Chernoff. Find him at chernoff.band. And I'm Milo Axelrod, Todd's favorite bar none human voice. And I'm not bragging, he wrote this. If you'd like to hear more of my voice, check out my podcast, Describing a Rock. 
in which I describe some rocks. You can find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Please support The Todd Donald Show by sharing it with anyone who might enjoy it. Follow and interact with at Todd Donald Show on Twitter and Instagram. And if you feel like going the extra mile on iTunes, please subscribe, rate, and review, preferably in its favor. Have a great day, friends. Thank you.